Blog Talk Radio. One, two, three, four. Been away for so long Nobody knows where you've gone I hear you living in L.A. I hope you're doing okay You make it seem like no one cares You disappear for a thousand years So isolated with the life you choose Eggs are frying in a frying pan Like Major Tom and the Rocket Man Is there another way for you to go To save your soul You're living hard on overload Training of Canine Search and Rescue and Service Dogs. 
So check these guys out. They are phenomenal. They have been on the show before, and they will be back. Now, I want to let you know that, once again, thank you, every one of you, for doing what you do for this show. As I tell you, every night it is not my show, it is your show. We are heard in over 200 countries with a 250,000 listener base when we take into consideration all of the podcasts this show goes on after it hits the archives. It is now heard on Reverb Nation, iTunes, YouTube, two slots on iHeartRadio, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, um, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Podcast Garden, and Podcast.com. And then there's some outlying podcasts that it's heard on that third parties put it up on, I don't put it up on. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's all because of y'all, and I thank you for that. I also want to welcome um, Diane Moat. She's been with me forever. The third book of her Sam Holden series is out, has been out for a while. In Dogbone, Sam's quest to avenge abused animals is threatened when the FBI comes after her on one side and the commissioner wants her dead on the other. Will her double life be exposed? Will Sam be able to protect the animals, her friends, and herself? Check out Dog Bones by Diane Moat everywhere ebooks are sold. And if you haven't started the series yet, ladies and gentlemen, go on Amazon and start with Dog Gone. Jay Traveler Pelton, she was on the show last week. Well, at the end of December, the 8th in the Generations of the Oberon Family Chronicles was released. Noel, Violet, Kai, Zanya, Jasmine, Scott, Gabriel, Katrana, and their families chased through the world, pitting their family, resources, intellect, and espionage network against the Brotherhood, erecting protective domes all over their safe houses and laboratories as they are labeled traitors and the military is sent to take them into custody. As the plant's plant life dies from the sickened water, the mutations spread throughout the animal kingdom. The Oberlins are made the scapegoats for all the world's problems. When Mike and Alexander are kidnapped, Noel has to call in help from all the worldwide family to bring them home. As the family worldwide retreat to the domes, they wonder if they will hold through military bombardment. Will the Earth survivor has the destruction of the environment and the population plummet gone too far to recover? Will only the people of the domes make it to the next millennium? This book and all of Traveler's books are available on Amazon. Just type in J. Traveler Pelton and you will be taken to her page. Have a look. Download some for yourself to enjoy on those cold, dark, and long winter afternoons when you just want to stay in. And don't forget to leave reviews. We as authors love reviews, good, better, and different. You can also visit Traveler on her webpage, travelerpelton.com. And ladies and gentlemen, with all this bad weather that is now shooting across the country, now would be a good time to not only get Diane Mote and Traveler Pelton's books, but also my guest tonight. His book is amazing. Author Howard Levine joins us for the very first time. I did run ads for his book as a sponsor, but it's nothing like talking to the man himself. He is the author of one previously published novel, Leaving This Life Behind. He is a retired teacher of special education and English as a second language. Before Howard's first public school teaching position at a high school in the Bronx, he taught transcendental meditation, which he still practices regularly. 
Howard now lives in suburban Washington, D.C., where he hikes, bikes, and writes. They, he and his wife also volunteer at a soup kitchen and a senior citizen center. Howard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I just, I, I am amazed. I am just amazed at all the things you still do plus write. But before we take that journey, tell me a little bit about you. How did you get to teaching two very difficult classes plus at a high school and then transcendent? Did you intend to take this path when you were a young man or a young boy? Uh, no. I, When I was a teenager, I really had no idea what I wanted to do, except I wanted to enjoy life more than I was. And, um, you know, I, I eventually began practicing transcendental meditation and found that uh, my life improved greatly, and I wanted to be able to teach that to um, help to bring it to other people. And so, you know, that, once I realized that, then I was kind of set on that path. And I spent, um, you know, several years teaching full-time in the Bronx. It's It was tremendously enjoyable, but it's not the kind of thing that you can really make a living from or sustain yourself, particularly if you want to raise a family, which my wife and I did. Um, but the experience of teaching Transcendental Meditation – um, involved trying to make relatively abstract concepts clear and concrete to the people you were you were speaking to, and that experience was very useful in terms of becoming a public school teacher, particularly working with special education students. Okay, let's let's for the folks that don't know what transcendental meditation is, you slightly touched on it, but. Ex- ex- Sort of explain it to them because I get it. Because children that are unique, a lot of them uh, communicate in an abstract language. So let's tie that in. Tell tell the folks what transcendental meditation is about, what it means, and how one can do it and then apply it to like unique children. Right. Well, transcendental meditation is a very simple and natural technique that one practices 20 minutes morning and evening, and it allows the experience of quieter underlying levels of the mind that are usually beneath our conscious experience. And along with that, one gets a very deep rest. In fact, research has shown that one gets a much deeper rest than one gets at at the deepest point of sleep. So it's something wow. that, yeah. So it's something that makes one healthier, calmer, and thereby, whatever we approach in life, we're bringing, we're coming to from a better place. I mean, basically, it allows us to tap our own inner resources to become more of what we can be internally, and therefore, whether it's teaching in a school or whatever our endeavor we're going to bring more to it and be more successful at it. So in applying that to the children that you taught 
and coming from a family with with a brother that is mentally and physically challenged it it gave you the tools to help them be successful in whatever area they were able to go in would that be a true statement i would say yeah it it enabled me to it creates a situation where you're calmer inside and therefore you can be more patient you can kind of see things from a broader perspective and uh you know again that's extremely useful when you're working with with children with disabilities well i i admire you for that i i really do because before the show it's like i told you to to be able to have that skill set and that gift and i really do believe it is a gift to be able to to teach unique children in a world that generally does not accept unique children you are priceless my friend priceless and and ladies well, and gentlemen not not only did he do that but then he turned around and taught English as a second language. You're a unique right. individual. Well, Yvonne, I very much appreciate that. And, um, you know, we all try uh, to do the best that we can in life in terms of making it meaningful and um, helping others if we can. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I am just in awe and inspired because there are not many of you out there, and, and so thank you. I know the teachers in general don't get a lot of thanks. They're pretty beat up, but especially teachers in your field because it takes a special person. So, And I, I know that, that it's, it, it's something that can be mentally, emotionally, and physically wearing on a daily basis. Right, and again, I appreciate your your recognition of that, and um, you know, the again, transcendental meditation uh, was very helpful in that regard. Um, so, and as far, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Finish your sentence. Well, no, as far as English as a second language, um, and watching children who could speak no English when you first started working with them watching them over the course of a year begin to speak more and more fully um, to expand their their ability to, to communicate in English, you know, that that's a very fulfilling thing. Um, so, Would it be akin to watching a flower blossom? You could say, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good a, analogy. It's very amazing. Now, not only did you do all of that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a man of action. This man just does not talk the talk. He walks the walk as well. You and your wife regularly volunteer at a soup kitchen at a, and at a senior citizen center. Now, that's two places like unique children that we don't want to talk about because if we don't talk about them, they don't exist. Right. That must be fulfilling for y'all. Yeah, well, it is. It actually really is. I mean, the we call it a soup kitchen. Kitchen. Um, it's it's a it's a 
institution, not an institution, that's not the right word, but it, it's, a, it's a foundation where not only are meals provided, three meals a day for homeless individuals, but clothing and support services of different kinds. And working there um, is a very fulfilling thing because you, you get to interact with those individuals. And just, you know, the vibrations there are just, you know, very good. Um, not only working with the individual, the clients there, but the other volunteers. Um, it's just something we really like doing. We work hard there. Um, but again, it, as you say, it's something that's, uh, that is fulfilling. You know, would it be fair to say that? Would it be fair to say that it also takes a special, unique individual to be able to enter that building and deal with people who, for whatever reason, are down on their luck, without judgment, without condemnation, and without turning their nose up at them? Because by the grace of God, go we. Right. Well, it's not. Uh... It's just basically interacting with them like you would interact with anybody else. I mean, some of them um, have disabilities, mental disabilities. A significant portion of the homeless population, I believe, um, has mental issues or disabilities that have prevented them from um, living what we would consider a more successful life. Um, But when you interact with them, it's like interacting with anybody else and they appreciate what you're doing. And, um, it just, it creates a good feeling inside. That's all. Well, you, my friend are an amazing, an amazing man. And once again, thank you for all you do. Now, before, before we get started talking about, this marvelous book that you've written that sadly I've not had the opportunity to read, but just reading the synopsis when I ran the the ads for you, it tickled my the tentacles of my brain. I mean, it just really, I'm going, I, I've got to just, I've just got to read this thing. But I want to sit down and read it when I'm not going to have to play Johnny Jump Up 50 million times because uh, right, I'll, I'll right, lose right. the train of all of it. So before we get started with that, let me run a couple of ads and pay a few bills, and then we'll come back, and we're just going to talk about the backbones of this book because it is one amazing book. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Off the Chain. I am your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, the wonderful, wonderful Howard Levine, who just, I want to be him when I grow up. We will be right back to talk about his book, The Last Gasp. The year, 1888. The place, London's East End. Dead and mutilated bodies are popping up all over, from Stamford to Whitechapel. Jack the Ripper is leaving his mark, and the city's on edge. Yvonne Mason is back with a tale of murder and millinery. The Rhodes Hat Factory is booming while the body count rises. Why now? How are these hats connected? Has the Hatter gone mad? Mad Hatter, Yvonne Mason, 
Available now on Amazon.com. Germany, 1938. Charlotte, a young girl of 15, wanders into Georg's cobbler's shop to have her shoes repaired. Georg, enamored by Charlotte's charm and grace, decides then and there that he's going to marry her. But they must keep their love a secret from family, friends, and, most importantly, the Nazis. Follow along as Georg's pursuit of the young Charlotte results in the couple traveling a heart-stopping, winding route to stay one step ahead of the Gestapo in their escape from Nazi Germany, with a surprising twist along the way. If you like history and romance, don't miss Good Things Always Happen in Springtime by Joanne Fisher. Available at www.joannesbooks.com. Juliana is a middle-aged housewife in Toronto with a career, a husband, that has little interest in her well-being, and three children. In the evenings, she gets on her computer and chats with people around the world. When she gets involved with Aaron and Bobby, her life becomes a pinball, bouncing around her husband, her job, her children, and her two online friends. She's bewitched by the romantic poetry of Aaron, but the honesty and kindness of Bobby bring her all the way to California. Watch for the ironic twist of fate that takes her in a direction she never expected. If you like spicy romances, don't miss With All of Me by Joanne Fisher, available at www.joannesbooks.com. Fiore is a young Italian woman engaged to be married but her plans are interrupted by a charismatic Sebastian, a handsome middle-aged Spanish businessman. Her beauty strikes him like a thunderbolt sent by the goddess Venus herself. When she's given a peculiar gift, a Spanish doll, she's thrown into a whirlwind of entangled passion, money, secrets, and love. Their romance sparks in a charming little Italian town located on the southern part of Lake Garda in northern Italy and takes them around the globe. What happens when her life is suddenly shattered by a lifelong secret? Her Spanish doll will bring you to a caliente Spain and a romantic Italy, adding some spice along the way. Available at www.joannesbooks.com. And we are back. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, author Howard Levine. And we've been going down memory lane with Howard. Now, before we talk about this amazing book that he released last year, I want to find out what in the world, my friend, made you decide to write. Was it something that happened in your childhood? Was it today's current events, 10 years ago current events, or was it a process? Well, I, I always sort of felt an affinity for writing. Um, the initial spur was that I wanted to express certain ideas, um, certain understandings about life in a fictional context. And um, to some extent, I did that with my first novel, Leaving This Life Behind, um, but in the in the process of writing that novel and one before that, which I kind of got my feet wet in the process of, of writing fiction, 
um, I just kind of got hooked on it. I mean, sitting down, however I might feel beforehand, once I sit down, I am engaged, I'm there. And it's just, uh, there's nothing else like that in terms of, of absorbing my attention and in terms of, you know, stirring myself inside the creative process, as they call it. So, um, and, and the, yeah. Do you find that once you get your teeth into a, a story and its characters, that they won't shut up? I find that if I'm stuck um, at one point or another, that when I'm not writing the the novel and its characters are more in my attention, I'm thinking about it and, you know, different possibilities present themselves. Um, with, with Last Gasp, since it's been published, um, particularly not long, you know, in, in the first days, uh, it was in my mind a great deal. You know, the, the characters seem very real to you. I mean, the fact that they're fictional is almost... It almost can't be because it's just very real. Their emotions, their lives. So you know, it's a, it's a very absorbing kind of thing. Do your characters keep you up at night? Because uh, <laughs> mine uh, do. <laughs> uh, well, uh, they're they let me have my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Mine don't. Mine uh, wake me yeah, up in well, the middle of the night going, we well, need to be heard. You need to write about us now. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you need to negotiate with them, Yvonne. You know, you need I tried. Speak. They don't They don't negotiate well. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. They, they yeah. just don't. I don't know right. if they don't like me. I don't know what it is. But then they have fights <laughs> within my head because they all want to get out at the same time, and I can only write so right. fast. Right. Well, so, it's it's good it's good that that your mind is lively, and that uh, you know because this is how you're able to to write fiction well. So. Well, and and that that yeah. is true. That that is very true. But what gets really scary is when I'm writing my my uh, true crime novels, and and the criminals are screaming at me because they don't want me to write it. <laughs> you know, it, it really they, they don't want to be found out, right? No, they do not. So let's let's talk about the last gasp. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read you the um, synopsis, if I can find it. Hold on a minute. I know what I did with it. It is about Frank Tedeschi, and I, I hope that I have pronounced him yeah, Tedeschi. 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 And also, also, there's no the in the title. It's just Last Gasp. Okay, Last Gasp. Okay. Anyway, Tedeschi is a Vietnam veteran. He owns a hardware store in Westchester County, which is north of New York City. He has a brother who's he's estranged from, who is a detective with the NYPD. Rob's daughter dies in a gassing which the government has blamed on Islamic jihadists. Now, Frank, owing to a chance encounter, is one of the very few individuals who doubts the government's explanation. He and Rob sort of put their differences aside and embark on this perilous mission to prove the truth 
where did this come from? How did it come about? What made you want to write about it? And all of the above. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I find I've written several novels, and basically they always start with a central idea or concept. And I, I just thought, well, what, what if the government staged a terrorist attack so that they could blame blame whoever blame Islamic terrorists if if they wanted to um, want an excuse to go to war in the Middle East, uh, but just just that central idea of of the government staging a terrorist attack and the notion of that kind of deception, that kind of lying. I mean, I think in politics, particularly nowadays, but even before that, we we've seen the government. Um, you know, misrepresent. We've seen a war started in Iraq based on on misinformation. So, just that that idea, that fictional concept of a terrorist attack staged by the government. Um, and once that central idea was there, uh, the pieces kind of gradually fell into place. I would like it if I could outline. Uh, more thoroughly when I start a novel. But what I found is once I have that central idea and begin to develop the characters, then the story kind of unfolds as I go along to some degree. Yeah, I understand that. I I do because many times I want to write a story a certain way and the characters are going, oh, no, we're going in this direction. If you don't write it our (laughs) way, we're going to give you writer's block. So, yeah, I get that. And and the, the sad thing Howard is, in my opinion, humble that it is, whether right or wrong, 99% of our wars are politically motivated. You can go all the way back to the, the, the war between the states. It's all politically motivated. Vietnam, politically motivated. Right. How did right. we think we were going to win a war the French couldn't even win? Right, and in, and in fact, as you mentioned, my main character uh, is a Vietnam veteran, and he gets involved in this this mission with his brother, whose whose daughter has died, as you mentioned, in this terrorist attack, uh, and it's it's kind of the last thing had he a choice beforehand that he would want to do because in Vietnam. He had enough of of violence and and horror to last him for many lifetimes. So um, there is in the novel that kind of interplay between Vietnam and his experiences there and the experiences that he has in terms of trying to prove the truth about what happened in this terrorist attack. And it it, it probably is pretty much more closer to the truth than people realize. Yeah, I think, yeah. Go ahead, finish. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go go ahead, Yvonne. Go ahead. What I was going to say is, in studying wars down through the ages, and studying World War I, World War II, Vietnam, the Civil War, 
even even the England when England was doing all of her wars during the the reign of the kings, it all had to do with politics, and right. they strategized yeah. it using politics. Right. Yeah. Mhm. And politics have you know, obviously become more and more polarized, um, and in my novel, you know the the main character is kind of amazed, you know, in the first chapter, we know who committed this act of terror. Okay. Then it's not a whodunit in that sense. Um, the, what keeps the pages turning is can these characters prove the truth, find the perpetrator and prove to the world that what the government says about this terrorist attack is a total lie. But, you know, in the first chapter, we see, you know, the the polarization evident, the hatred involved in – with the character who, who who does the gassing, who commits the act of terror that kills so many people. So the polarization involved in politics, I think, is, is vividly evoked in my novel. It's, some, it, it's this thread that runs through – the novel. When when you decided to write this particular book, was was it kicked off by nine eleven? I mean that that was a. It, what is the word I'm looking for? It it it, it almost crippled this nation. However. The signs were already there. We had already had terrorist attacks in New York in 1991. Right. Or 80-something. 80, 80 no, in 91, yeah. remember when they when they blew up the parking lot there at the one of the bigger buildings? The World, the world Trade Center, yeah. The World yeah. Trade Center garage, yeah. Yeah, and, and 9-11... You know that that is referred to also because after that, then people were very willing to believe when the president stands up on the television and says, "You know, we have complete evidence that this was committed by Islamic terrorists." You know, the people are very willing to believe that. So yeah, because the the emotions yeah. are running high and the the anger is running high, and they want to blame somebody. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, this is kind of um, – they've been socialized or convinced by the news or events that, you know, if there's terrorism, then it must be – it must be involving Islamic terrorists when, in fact, terror, there are terrorists of many different stripes, many different religions, many different backgrounds. Um, but, you know, that that background of 9-11, as you mentioned – kind of in my novel creates a fertile ground for the deception that the government pulls off. Gotta love the government. And it does it really it doesn't matter who's in charge. They they all have that mindset of let's let's play the public for a fool. Right, right. Yeah, and that very much occurs in this novel and um Part of what what I think its appeal is that is that 
you have two very common people, a hardware store owner and his brother, who, as you said, is a detective with the NYPD, um, who are attempting to, you know, have a very profound effect on the course of history in the world, um, and definitely the history in this country. So the, you know, the 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 politicalization of everything and the polarization that you speak about factor very much into the novel. Well, I tell you, I I have that on my list of things to read simply because the the three months that I ran it, it just the more I ran it, the more it grabbed me. Right. I wanted well, to know I, more about Frank. Yeah. Well, I think you know Frank again is someone who has seen enough in Vietnam that you know as as it says in the synopsis he wants nothing more he wants nothing more than to live without further conflict controversy but he's thrust into a situation where he feels that he has no choice because he has he has information uh, which which hardly anybody else has that that leads him to that leads him to suspect that what the government says about this terrorist attack is a lie, and plus his niece, his brother's daughter, has died in the attack, so he has a very personal investment in undertaking the mission that he and his brother undertake. So, um, you know, he's a good man, a man who wants to. Uh, do right by his family and who wants to see a more peaceful world. Um, and he's thrust into the situation, as I said, um, by forces beyond his control, but, you know, he feels he has no other choice. So would it be fair to say, Howard, that not only does he have to prove that it is not a Islamic jihadist terrorist attack that it's a local foobar by the government but he also is going to have to fight the government too because they're not going to want this out right yeah well part of part of what makes their mission a perilous perilous one is that uh, the government becomes aware that, that these that Frank and his brother are trying to find the evidence they need to prove the truth and so they are their lives are in peril i mean that that's part of what adds to the tension of the novel that while they're searching for evidence while they're searching for the perpetrator uh they also are trying to keep themselves from being killed so it's kind of a double edged sword when you were when you were putting this story together, I am sure that you had to do quite a bit of research just so that it would be because you know most readers now are are very critical among other things, but they're very educated. Mm-hmm. We can't fool them with with um, fiction that we try to make facts just because we want to. 
they catch us on it. So did you do research to get the the bones of the story? Yeah, I did, definitely. I did research on Vietnam um, so that I could depict that background of the main character effectively. Um, I did research on police procedures, on technical details such as air conditioning systems because the gassing that I was talking about takes place at a rock concert and um, the poison gas is introduced through the heating air conditioning system. So, you know, with any novel, there are many details that um, unless you're a person with a very wide breadth of knowledge, naturally, um, you're going to have to, you know, search for for information. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. How long did it take you to do this book? I couldn't really say. Maybe two or three years. I mean, it's it's been rewritten a couple of times. Once uh, for my agent. Um, I, I made certain changes that she suggested, mostly in terms of, of cutting down some of the background material because in a thriller, um, there's kind of an imperative to keep the action moving forward, keep the pages turning. Um, I feel that, you know, there's enough uh, background information there to to make the characters rounded and real. Um but, you know, between that and doing some editing for the publisher, and even before that I had made changes, you know, you you kind of go, get so familiar with something when you're working on it that, you know, you cannot see it with any freshness. But then if you come back to it after a period of time, then you can see it with new eyes. So um, probably, you know, maybe two years, three years, but... Again, it, it's been kind of reshuffled at different points. Well, well, the reason I ask is because people that don't write, readers that, that just read, sometimes they don't understand, especially in a novel that is that intense and that detailed, that it's not something you just throw them up on a computer in three months' time, there's a lot that goes into it. Like you say, there's a lot of editing, there's a lot of background, there's a lot of research. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot that goes into making a book that phenomenal. Right, yeah, and I'm always, when I read a novel and there's you know specialized knowledge that the author has obviously mastered, and is rendering in, in, in you know brilliant detail. I'm, I'm extremely impressed by that. Although, again, with my novel, um, there's definitely detail there. You know, time and place and characters, all of that. I feel is full, but also um, the flow of the plot. You know, I, to, to me, that is perhaps the most important thing keeping the reader engaged and, and wanting to read on. Well, if if folks don't like the la- don't like the book, ladies and gentlemen, it's called Last Last Gasp. And even though I've not read the book, I've done the synopsis enough that I can't wait to get into it. 
it would be right up my late husband's alley because he loved that type of novel with the intrigue, the espionage, the the investigation, because he was retired law enforcement. Oh. And he and yes, he he was he was an investigator for the state attorney's office, and um, oh. he retired in two thousand three. But he could have written when, fiction himself, it sounds like. He could have. But when he and I would sit and watch these crime shows on television, we would, um, because my degree's in criminal justice, we would go, that is totally unbelievable. They need to change writers. They need to change mm. research assistants because some of the right, stuff right. they did was just off the wall. So I know that he would have loved your book. Well, I hope so. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, now, in the few minutes that we have left, I want to talk about briefly this life behind, leaving this life behind. Because again, I went and I looked up the book, and I looked up the the way that you wrote it, and I found it very, very interesting. Now, this that book was written before Last Guest, correct? Yes, well before. What made you write such a wonderful book? Again, it's not one that I've read yet, but just the idea of the the theme of the book just left me breathless. Right. Well, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I started writing because I wanted to express uh, some understandings that I had about life in a fictional con- context. And the notable thing about leaving this life behind is that it's, it's narrated in alternating chapters by husband and wife. Wife dies in the first chapter and thereafter is narrating from a fictional hereafter, which is which is elaborated over the course of the novel. And, um, you know, the idea behind that was was just kind of to present the idea that there's more to life than than what we can see with our five senses. There's more to us as people that we can tap and unfold. So, um, but again, that novel was was unusual in that, Half of it was narrated from a fictional beyond, and at the end of the novel, the, the, the two planes, if you will, the two settings, Earth and the hereafter, are kind of brought together. Uh, that's but, another one. I've yeah. got to read it. I have got to yeah. read it because just right. you explaining it and my reading the synopsis of it intrigued me. And I'm sure that there are people out there who for, might would have liked the opportunity to talk to the one person that they lost or wonder what the person that's gone on is thinking about how they're taking care of business here on this earth. Right. Well, the part of the part of the impetus or part of the tact that I took in writing the novel um, 
had to do with near-death experiences where people actually have experiences of what they believe is realm beyond the earthly one. And so some of the depictions stemmed from that and kind of extended from that. So what if, what if the person did not come back into their body and begin living again, but stayed in the beyond, what would that be like? So that was sort of what I worked on when I worked on that novel. Well, in the, in the few minutes we have left, I know you're working on something else. Tell the folks what you're working on so that we can look forward to that. Well, what I'm working on now is a novel in which a retired couple rescue two undocumented miners from the Arizona desert, and they're attempting to help them in terms of reuniting them with their father who lives up north, also undocumented, um, how to go about doing that, particularly in the climate today where it's very dangerous to to aid uh, immigrants. Um, so that that one is about 80 pages long at this point. Um, the novel that that I really want to emphasize, though, is Last Gasp. Um, you know, I've gotten very good responses to it. People tell me they find it hard to put down. And uh, like any author, uh, particularly an author published by a small press, um, the challenge is making people aware of the book's existence, getting it out there. So um, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and you know I very much appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you on on off the chain radio, Yvonne. You know, towards that end. Well, you are quite welcome, my friend. This is what I do, and it's. I learned a long time ago that I only am successful as I help others to be. And as authors, our community, we have to help. None of us are in competition with the other one. We have to help each other in order for any of us to be successful. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to mention that Last Guest by Howard Levine is available on Amazon, also from Barnes & Noble online. Um, you may have mentioned that already, Yvonne. <laughs> but that's okay. I thought okay. I'd it again. <laughs> it's okay. We don't okay. mind. Okay. It's, it's an old marketing tool. You know, you say it, you right. show it, you right. say it, you show right. it again. Because right. people, right. it's got to get stuck in their head. And right. With this particular book and the the environment that we're living in currently, and everything is so in everybody's face, it's more close to the truth than anybody understands, I'm thinking. Well, yeah, and this is what we strive for as writers. We strive to be able to to present something to people that they can relate to. Do you, have you got any um, events that you're going to be going to where people can see you in the D.C. area or the New York area or the Jersey area? Well, February 9th, I'll be 
signing copies of the novel at Barnes and Noble in Rockville, Maryland. This is part of the suburban D.C. area. Um, February 9th at one o'clock. March 2nd, I'll be reading from the novel and discussing it and discussing the whole experience of being a writer uh, at a senior center in Silver Spring. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll be appearing at other Barnes and Nobles in the area also over the next couple of months. So, um, you know, again, we, we do what we can to try to make people aware of... of of our of our work. If if someone wanted to follow you or stay in contact with you to talk to you about the book once they've read it, or just have a discussion with you about it, or want to know what else you're working on, how would they find you? Well, I'm on Facebook. As yet, I don't have a website. I sort of have one under construction. Um, also, you know, I can be found through my publisher, Black Opal Books. Um, they will forward anything to me that uh, that anyone sends them. And my my agent, Donna Eastman, Park East Literary. Um, she's another way I can be contacted and receive information back and forth. It's so the um. I just lost my train of thought, Howard. I don't know where we're going with that question, but it, <laughs> that happens. Yes, well it aware. Just went, it just went away. Yep. Right. And it was—I'm sure it was profound. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back in, in, in its good time. Probably when I'm laying in the bed, I'm like, "Oh, that was a question I was going to ask him." <laughs> I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So when you're not thinking when, about it anymore, it pops up. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So with the with the new book, when do you think it will come out? Well, I have to finish writing it first. I mean, I'm still <laughs> kind of working out, you know, where the novel is going to go. I mean, I have a, I have a good foundation, but I have no idea uh, when it's going to come out. Um and you know, as you know, as a writer, when you're writing it, you're just doing that, and uh, it's kind of nice not worrying about anything else That's in true. terms of promotion That's or anything. Yeah, that is true because the 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 that I always found years ago when people would say I want to write a book but I don't know how. My first question was them is how bad do you want it, and my second question to them is do you think you're going to get rich? And if they say, I want it really, really bad, and yes, I expect to get rich, I tell them, well, the answer to the first question is, is will work, but the answer to the six, second question is you might want to consider another line of employment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Or, yeah, have, have, have a day job. Because right. Have a backup yeah, plan. I mean, I mean really. Really, that is excellent advice, Yvonne. Because it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it, it, right. it's not yeah. because they're a bad writer. It's because there's millions of books out there by millions of writers. And right, right. With, the, with the the Internet that we have now, unless you are looking for a particular writer, 
we get lost in the fray. Yeah, yeah, this is true. I mean, and when I this radio yeah. show. Yeah, when when leaving this life behind came out in two thousand and one, it was a lot easier to get reviews in newspapers, to have the book acquired by library systems. You know, all of that is more difficult now with Last Gasp, yeah. Because everybody and their brother's got a book out there. And everybody and their brother thinks it's the next best American novel and (laughs) not happening. (laughs) Right, 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 right. But but ladies and gentlemen, contact... How we're we're running out of time, so contact. No, don't go now. But wait till we get offline. Contact Howard Levine on Facebook. Go and get his novel, Last Guest. I promise you, you will not be sorry. It is an amazing book. He is an amazing man. He is an amazing writer, and he just wants to keep people on the edge of their seat, which he does <laughs> so well. I mean, to tell you. Howard, don't hang up when the show goes dark because I do want to tell you some things, but I do want to thank you for taking an hour out of your evening and spending it with me. And if you would tell your lovely wife thank you for that hour, I would be most appreciative because our time with our families is very precious. Okay. Well, you're quite welcome. And, you know, I really enjoyed uh, the hour. I seriously did. Yeah. It's it. You know, you're exactly right. You were right about that. And we didn't cover half the stuff we could have talked about, like the current political foobar, but we'll leave that one for another day. So, ladies and gentlemen, we will will be here on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. I have a call from an author from England, but we will not be on the rest of the week because I will be in New Orleans. Um, and I will have a sitter here with my two brats. But we will be back the following week, ready to go. So join us on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock when we interview another author out of the U.K. Remember this, ladies and gentlemen, everybody is on a journey. And sometimes that journey is not very pleasant. In fact, many times it's less than stellar. We don't know what kind of journey others are on. So as we're out and about in our daily lives, please be kind. It doesn't it doesn't cost anything to be kind. And in being kind it makes you feel also if you want to achieve greatness, do not ask anybody's permission because they're not going to give it to you. You're already great. Encourage your children to understand that, that they don't need anyone's permission to be great. They don't need anyone's permission to be our future. And I want to, again, thank Howard for helping children that are indeed part of our future and his teaching of these children because they are our future. We all have a purpose. So teach your children that they're already great that they don't need anyone's permission, and that they can grow up and be anything they want to be, whether it's the the garbage collector or rocket scientist. They can do it. There's The only thing stopping them is their own imagination. So with that being said, I want to thank everyone for being with us again tonight. I want to thank Howard for being with us. And I want you all to all join us next Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock when, once again, we will be here on Off the Chain with our guest from the U.K. 
Until then, we want to wish you all a good evening, a good weekend. Love yourselves. Love each other. And be kind to each other because we only are in this life once. Until then, we wish you all a very good evening. All right, the show is off the air, but everything that I tell you is going to show up in the archive part of the show because it's still recording. But what I wanted to tell you is when we get off from the show and we hang up and once it completely archives, I'm going to post the link on my page and I'm going to mm-hmm. tag you in it. Good. And then you can take that link and put it out to your entire network. Right, right. Okay, great. And that, Good. And that way everybody that didn't get to listen tonight can listen to it. Right, yeah. No, that's good. And I want to thank you again, my friend, for being on the show, and I want to bring you back when you get that other book done. Excuse me? I want to bring you back when you get your other book done. I want to... Oh, I would love love to to be on the show again. I definitely would. I mean, yeah. It is definitely a date. Because, as Great. you see, it goes by really fast, and we talk about everything under the shining sun. It is. That's true. I'm amazed, <laughs> you know. It's very rare that I'm on the phone this long, like I said at the beginning, so, you know. But it, it went by so fast, Howard. It did. It really did, yeah. All right, yeah. my friend. Go and have it the rest of your evening, and thank you again for spending an hour with me. I so appreciate it, and I can't wait to have you back. Great, and thank you again, Yvonne. It was it was wonderful. Okay. Thank you, sweetheart. We'll talk later. Good night. Okay, I sure will. Okay, bye.